podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The Mall Over podcast. I've fucked it again, haven't I? <laughs> I, I don't know how he does it. Do you know what? I'm not even going to bother trying. Uh, it's a rugby podcast and we talk about rugby um, mostly negatively. If you don't like negative rugby chat, this probably isn't the place for you. Um, I'm joined by Ben, the nicest man in Cornish podcasting. How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Is Phil Vickery from Cornwall? Yeah, he's from Bude. Okay, so you might have competition. Okay, well... Because he seems quite nice, right? I saw him. Yeah, he does seem nice. I'm not going to argue with him either. No. Um, Let's have a vote. Phil Vickery or Ben Eustace? And we'll get some kind of podcast award sorted for it. And um, the housewife's favourite here, apparently in a van um, doing graft, I believe. Do you want me to pretend to be Phil? Has he crashed? I hope not. <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretend to be Phil. Why not? He's, um, <clears throat> uh, sorry, I mean, I am, am delivering lamb to the local housewives. Perhaps that's why he's gone quiet. <laughs> like the milkman in Father Ted. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a big week for rugby, wasn't it, really? We had, um, you know, the, mo- the most anticipated game of the season, really, isn't it? Every year, every time you play a... An All Blacks match, everyone gets a little bit hyped up for it, especially pre-World Cup as it is this year. Uh, I've got to be honest, I was working on the dart, so I didn't see much of it. I saw the first half um, and was left wholly underwhelmed. But you boys watched the whole thing, so why don't I sort of cede the floor to you and I'll come in as and when I see fit. Um, the The first sort of... I don't know, half hour of this game was an absolute toweling, wasn't it? Yeah, completely. You were right to be completely underwhelmed. Um, <clears throat> yeah, England just never got started. And um, New Zealand, you know, they weren't particularly playing that much better, but they were playing well enough to take advantage of it. And they really put a lot of pressure on the young scrum half. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of him, which is partially fair, but... You know, it's good experience, if nothing else, you know. Uh, you know, he had a bit of a um, dream start when he came in. But, um, you know, this is a bit of a return to earth. But, but I think definitely worth persevering with. Um, be very few players that get to 50 caps without having at least one stinker. So, um, you know, good luck to him. But, you know, we've given Ben Youngs a lot of criticism, but he did you know, pre- do pretty well when he came on. But doesn't um, he always do that? You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, right. he used to be quite a bad substitute as a youngster because he used to try too much. But mm. I think <clears throat> maybe against a, a tiring defence, the fact that he's always got the likelihood of of them overcommitting because he, he's taking so long to pass. I, well, I, I was sort of more more making the point on that he always seems to. You can have a whole automation series, and he'll have one sort of forty minute period where he looks like the best player on earth. And then for the rest of the t- tournament, we all complain about how we want him shot into the sun. Um, yeah. He, he, you know how I feel about um, Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad can play terrible for a whole summer, but he'll have one spell where he takes five for 13 and that guarantees him the next series. And I, I think we're kind of there with, with Ben Youngs. He, he, he plays really really average rugby for a lot of the time he plays and then out of nowhere he'll pull a performance out of his ass just when you think he's on the cusp of being Jetson and I've got to be honest Ben I've had enough of it yeah I think that's I, fair um, I I don't want to give Eddie too much credit but I do wonder if there is a point whereby the subscrummer half always looks better because the game plan automatically becomes more open and a, and a scrum half playing in a more open game plan based around quicker ball will always look better. Now, that's not to say he's the right person to play that role, but the times when he does look like he's having better games, it's generally because he's come off the bench and changed it. 
And I do wonder whether, like, this whole, let's be honest, England were abysmal in the first half and everything was massively slow. You've got young scrum half who's there ultimately for quick ball and, and it's all being t- toned down five notches because of the game plan. So I'm not saying Ben Young's is the future of England scrum halves, but is part of the reason why he's so shit most of the time because he's adhering to a crap game plan. Well, no, because, I mean, he's not even, not even the best scrum half at his club. He wasn't the best no, scrum the half selected the by the country at his club. To, to be fair, the best scrum half at his club was selected ahead of him for England. So I suppose... He's, he's not even second choice at his club, is he? <laughs> well, yeah, you've got um, Wigglesworth as well, haven't you? So I suppose it's arguable. But I, I'd argue there's probably five scrum halves I would rather have in that England squad over him. And I've, I've made it abundantly clear I, I would have Wigglesworth in over him based on how Eddie Jones wants to play rugby. But yeah, if you, if you want a controlled game with accurate box kicking for the first 60 minutes, Wigglesworth does that far better than Young's. Well, he does it far better than Van Portfleet. He does it far better than pretty much every other... Anyone, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd go... Ben Spencer, uh, Dan Robson, uh, Mitchell, Van Portfleet, um, the little Bristol fella, Harry Randall, with his candle and his sandals. Raffi um, Quirk. Who? Raffi Quirk. Raffi Quirk, Charlie Chapman. Um, yeah, actually, that's a good shake. Charlie Chapman's been playing some really good rugby. Yeah. But, I, I mean... The, the first, the first name you mentioned should probably be England starting to come up. Ben, ben Spencer. Spencer, yeah. And then yeah, you I mean, have a, yeah. a, a Van Portfleet or a Mitchell coming off the bench for the last twenty-five minutes. Yeah, agreed. I don't. Yeah, I, look, I don't think it's ever going to change as long as Eddie Jones there is going to pick him. And if if we give Eddie Jones another four years, Ben Young should end up with two hundred caps. <laughs> I, I don't have the same issue with Young's perhaps that, that everyone else does, but um, I do certainly take the point that, I mean, the, the wider point is all of those scrum halves should have a lot more caps by now. You know, they, you know, the, it should have, it should, there should be some options available. This close to a World Cup, Young's is going unless he's unfit. And, yeah. you know, he's definitely going to go. Um, and, you know, it's it's almost like the same as Eddie. You know, Eddie Jones himself. We're almost like resigned. Well, right, okay, we're going to ride or die now to the next World Cup. There's not, there's, there's not nothing else is going to happen now. Well, I always think is yeah. that what, what's happening with England sort of strikes me is that, that the old saying about um, doing the same thing and expecting different results. I said it as soon yeah. as <laughs> the, the the same squad was picked, pretty much the first opportunity we had post-World Cup. I mean, we've been to the World Cup, we got to the final, we didn't win. Um, and you could argue well, how many of that how many of that team that lost that World Cup final are going to play in the first World Cup match ne- next time? And it's probably 11, 12 players, maybe. How, how many should be playing? A handful of times. Yeah, yeah, I... I'd, I'd say the front I mean the front rows changed somewhat but I'm not convinced about this Sinclair Genge um, Cow and Dickey front row I, d- I don't think they scrummage well enough um, blown away by blown away by Argentina and they and they look pretty ropey in the first half from what I saw against New Zealand We'll find out next week, won't we? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know what you boys think. I, I, I think that's an area that I oppositions think, will look to get at us. I think Sinker's overrated. Um, I think Genge sometimes tries to be too clever. I think he tries to win penalties at the scrum by 
a little bit of hinging and making it look like the opposition um, tight heads lost his feet, but more times than not, and as happened uh, on Saturday against New Zealand, the first penalty, he got done for hinging, and uh, I mean, the, the Kiwi tight head, Christ's feet were five foot behind him. Um, scrums are too much of a lottery penalty-wise for somebody who isn't the brightest spark to try and be clever in. Um, Cowan Dickey, I, I, I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference in the tight, whether you go Cowan Dickey or you go George. And ultimately, I think the two of them are the standout hookers that are available for England, so they'll take those two roles. Um, I, I do think... I do think this pissing about with you're a second row one week, you're a sixth the next week um, really does knacker that consistency behind the front row. Uh, I'd, I'd like him to pick his pick his two second rows and stick to it. It looks like the squad coming in for next Saturday is going to go with three second rows starting again, which probably means Ribbons and Hill in the row and Atoje um, playing at six. But, yeah. I, I find, I, you know, we, we seem to have this conversation every time we talk about England, but with the yeah. amount of back row options we've got, using a Tojo at six just seems bonkers. Well, just as, just as bonkers, to be honest, as using Sam Simmons at six. Um, like, Tom Curry is an excellent six. Jack Willis is an excellent six or seven. Going up against Surveyor and... Papalihi and whatever the other who uh, who else was there? Scott Barrett. Oh yeah, well ignore Barrett. But going up against the other two without really a legitimate seven on the pitch. And Tom Curry's kind of that six and a half role, but without two two flankers on the pitch, it was was just a ridiculous idea. And I know it was said multiple times in the group that. Reynold kept playing really short advantages for England. The reason he was playing short advantages was because we were losing the ball on the ground, the next ruck. It wasn't that he was playing short advantage because he had it in for us. We just couldn't retain the ball because we didn't have the right people in the squad. Yeah. I, I, it, it does seem... And, I, I, I think... Again, it's something we've spoken about, but I just think he just... He has these like harebrained schemes. Everyone questions him, and he just doubles down and doubles down and doubles down. And he seems to seems to value having more line out options over being mobile and dynamic around the pitch. Because while Atoje is a unique rugby player and probably one of the best rugby players in the world, he does leave England looking a little bit less dynamic when you play him at six. I think yeah. the athletes that we've got that can play that position and can make a real difference. I, I just think you're, you, you're weakening two, two positions for the sake of, well, how many line outs so in a game? 10 line outs in a game, let's say, for our sake, yeah. versus how many rucks. Yeah, I agree, Phil. I, I think you pick, you have to pick your squad based on the, the things that you're most likely to have influence over. And I think the way England want to play rugby, they have to be competitive at rucks and breakdowns. Yeah. And I don't think Itoji being there is the best thing for that. No, 100%. And you know what? Curry can go up in the line out. Uh, and the reality is, eggs to throw Simmons up, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every team since lineouts got lifted, you always used to put an an eight or a six up, didn't they? You know, yeah. Two thousand and three England were using Richard Hill in the lineout all the time, and equally they could have used Delalio. It's it just seems like an excuse to. Here's a question for you, Phil. Is it better to have two short lifters lifting a tall bloke or two tall lifters lifting a short bloke? Two tall lifters lifting a short bloke. Speed. Or Speed ideally a, a tall light bloke. Well, yeah. 
Billy, Billy Rumfield. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> six foot two and about nine stone. Uh, but yeah, two, two tall lifters lifting a, a, a short light bloke because you'll get them up there so much quicker. Ultimately, it's the, there's deception around line outs, which is what gives you the edge and the advantage. But what wins you the ball is the speed from the player being on the ground to, to his hand being where the ball's going to be. And that's where people like Wokey do such an amazing job at defensive line outs is he just gets up lightning quick. He starts moving a smidge of a second after the jumper opposite him, but he goes up so much quicker. And that part of that comes down to his leg power and part of that comes down to the speed of the lift. I have to take your word, word for it on that. <laughs> but bottom, bottom, bottom line, um, if you're going to pick, so if you're going to lift somebody who's two, three inches shorter, you just need to add a greater level of deception into it. And that's all you're hoping for with the third jumper is, is another layer of deception as to where it's going to go. You've only got to hit them once. And then it adds a question in the, the opposition's mind. But I mean, Christ, our notes were good enough anyway with with just a Toji and Hill going on. That the lineouts were not our problem. Uh, I mean so while we're on the problem then Phil, let's move away from lineouts because they're inherently done. <laughs> well <laughs> one so one thing I don't think this is a particularly good New Zealand side. I think they have two very good back row players. Um I, I think the back line is really struggling to gel overly much at the moment. And I think their front front five are, can be a bit lethargic around the pitch. But one coaching point that they did highlight was um, Jack Noel being quite flat-footed uh, in defensive kicks coming towards him. Plus also manager Lange not being very good at defending at 13 which basically meant that crossfield kick, I don't know how many they did to Noel, four. Um, after the first two, two Langing should have been hanging 10 yards further out going, this is a major weakness here. I need to provide some help for my winger. Um, as it was, straightforward crossfield kick, two on one try time. Um, there was, I think our biggest problem, which that is a really big symptom of, is a lack of on-field leadership. Because somebody should be going, we need to give Jack some support on these crossfield kicks. Even if it's him doing it himself, I need a bit more support on these or I'm going to get shafted. Um, similarly, we made errors and then we compounded those errors with more stupid decisions. The Van Portfleet to Johnny May blindside off a wing, uh, off a scrum. I mean, Christ, who goes blind off a scrum with a five-metre blindside anyway? You're just stitching your winger up on a one-on-one tackle with the touchline to help you. But then Johnny May was only three yards back from the scrum, so he was two metres offside. Like, just bad decision and then really poor execution of it. It's, well, yeah. The the thing you could argue with that is that we're, we're picking two wingers that are comfortably outside the top ten wingers playing in England at the moment. Yeah. We, yeah, we've I'll seen, give you that. You know, we seem to have this thing, or it seems to be everyone's decided that the common uh, denominator for Jones's wingers is that he wants one pace man and one strong winger. Well, I would say that Noel is neither, and Johnny May has definitely lost so, a yard or two so of pace. <laughs> Sorry, we lost you there, Phil. But I, what I would say is that. It, with every passing week that goes by, well, or, or he likes a quick one. With, with, with sorry, Phil, with, with every week that goes by, it becomes harder and harder to justify the the non-selection of um, Adam Radwan. It also, to me, Ollie Hassel Collins is an infinitely better winger than than uh, Jack Noel at the moment. And also, a guy that's never really had a look in is the old London Irish winger that plays for um, Saracens. Lewington. 
I've I've not been incredibly impressed by Lewington since he's gone to Saracens. I I, I liked him at London Irish, but I don't think he's been great since he's been at Saris. But I, I get your point. I thought May played pretty well. Um, he he gets through a lot of work, and 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 there is always the the um, you know, opportunity with May that he might make a break, like he he did it a couple of, at least once in that in that game. Um, what Phil was saying, I think you know that cross kick to Noel. That had a couple of advantages for New Zealand because they kept at it even when it probably wasn't going to succeed. But as as he mentioned, you know, Vunapola's not the most fleet of foot in defence. And I think they were trying to isolate him as well, you know, by pulling him either wide or pulling Noel wide. I think that probably would serve to put him in a lot more space. And I think they were also trying to draw the, the defence across to maybe try like a chip through the middle or something like that. Um, you know, it was it was... It was you know, good work in identifying a weakness and, and going for it. Um, but, you know, England just were, yeah, like Phil says, shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, I haven't seen that not being five metres back penalty for about seven years in an international, if 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 even that, you know, it was, and there was a lot of sort of slightly odd penalties, you know, but from both sides, really, um, but England more so. Yeah, um, well, England England have sort of cornered the market, giving away shit penalties, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure if Phil's back, but um, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think if that game had finished at an hours hours mark, we would be pretty much calling for Eddie's head, don't you? Well, no, I, still I'm, I'm I don't, still I don't think <laughs> I don't think twenty, 20 minutes of. Um, New Zealand having taken their foot off the gas and, and England um, stepping up a little bit. I don't think you can say that that's how much of that is down to Eddie Jones, probably very little. I, I think it's more down to New Zealand. Um, and I, I think the stat, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is something like six out of the last eight games, New Zealand have been outscored in the last 20 minutes. I don't think they've got enough strength on their bench and I don't think they're fit enough. They certainly do seem to be a side that struggles trying, I mean, to, compare that, trying to keep compare going. That five, years ago, five years ago, they'd stick 20 points in every team in the last 15 mm. minutes. And also just before half-time. And is that I don't know, is that a consequence of mix-ups in or the way Super Rugby's changed or is that a consequence of... Uh, I think it's a, a little bit to do with how they play. The they're, 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 they're very... Um, they play really intense rugby, don't they? Like, everything's a million miles an hour. They don't seem to... They don't seem to have much in the way of... A measured approach it's go 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 maybe they just can't keep that up for 80 minutes yeah the old new zealand side used well it, it, it was always the, st- the statistic wasn't it that they kick more than anyone else um mm. and you would have the odd sort of fallow period in a game um i think you were also right in that phil in that they're just not as good as they were no. are they um, not as good or is everyone else caught up i think there's an element that everyone else is caught up because which is an inevitability of, of, of modern rugby, really, with the amount of an- analysis and coaching. and Because ultimately, well, u- ultimately, rugby is run, par- run past catch, right? And, yeah, but and you look at the, White, White Lock and Metallic, and they've got like 300-odd internationals between them. And they're just not the imposing forces they used to be. Yeah, like like you're right. Retallick and, and Whitlock are, are elder. You don't have Reed and, and McCaw, and you don't have Conrad Smith and um, Nonu. Well, if you take that on any side, they're not going to be quite as impressive as they as they used to be, are they? Yeah, Ioani, Rico Ioani, like absolutely amazing ball runner, ball in hand, but pretty bang average at most things. Like, I... He doesn't do he doesn't do anywhere near the way of work that Comrade Smith used to do. Um, he, he's looking to be the magic touch every time. 
but he goes missing for half the game. I, I, I honestly forgot he was playing until um, he scored the try that wasn't. I, I do appreciate what you're saying. I, I think what New Zealand had up until sort of 10 years, I'd, I'd say this, this sort of slide has been going on for what? Um, 10 years? Five, six years. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. What what they had, they had an they had an aura. Uh, they had the the sort of same thing that Man United had back in the nineties and two thousands, where there was a perception that they were just better players. I'm not sure they always were better players, but I think playing against that team of Carter and you know all those Ali Williams, all those guys was just there was a perception that they were better, and so there was like it or not, you sort of played within yourself because you didn't want to be caught. Uh, but I think with the amount of analysis and video and all this stuff on these players now, there is a very real perception that they are just human beings. They're not these mythical rugby wizards that can do stuff that nobody else can. I also think that they're probably suffering from having the same the same amount of analysis and... and um work gone into them in that they've probably lost a little bit of the unexpected and lost a little bit of the the things that made New Zealand rugby players different. So they're probably the the coaching methods from when they're kids now, they're probably just overcoached and they lose that sense of freedom that old New Zealand teams played with. Yeah. A bit like Brazil. You know, Brazil... Me and my dad have this sort of theory about Brazil that when Brazil were great, all their players were playing in Brazil. You didn't really see them. And so they were unbelievable players. But also because they played in Brazil, they could do all the things that they used to do that made them special. Then as soon as everyone started realising, do you know what? Brazilian players are really bloody good. Let's sign a load of Brazilian players. And they all start coming over to European clubs at 12 years old. They lose the Brazilianness and become European. Now all these all these Kiwi players are, are spending time in Europe or Japan, and they're they're losing their New Zealandness. If that makes sense, I don't know. Might be bollocks. No, it does. No, it make, think... does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the European coaching right, influence, right. all of that stuff. You know. I think you're also right about the the analysis side of it as well. Everybody knows what everybody else is like. So actually, you all know your strengths and weaknesses. So that that aura has gone, that, oh, Christ, New Zealand have come over and we don't know what they're going to be like other than we know they're going to be tough as nails and play this special brand of rugby. Well, actually, you know exactly what they're going to be like. Yeah, and a lot of the time... even, Even amateurs like us know what they're going to be like. Yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, conscious that, uh, you know, times against us, but what what would you say is the outcome of this ring? Is it a net positive that they drew? I'll tell you what, where do you stand on the uh, Marcus Smith kicking the ball out? Because there seems to be a lot of people that have lost their shit about it. Yeah, kick it off. Kick it off every time. Yeah. Every single time. Someone posted this on Twitter and it was a very good point. That it where they where they put the kick, it it dropped behind the front pod, which took that pod out of the game, and it drew Curry and Stewart forward, and I think Farrell would then got involved in the ruck, so they they were they were short, and the players that that were out of the ruck, you can see Vunapola, you can see I think another front row forward, so even if they'd gone they had a really good chance of being turned over because Curry's I, at I the bottom tell you of the A hundred yeah, times you know. out of a hundred, what would have happened? They'd have run yeah. it and the referee would have pinged them for sealing off at the first ruck. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think, think Marcus Smith knew that and was like, the second this is in my hands, I'm twatting it off the pitch. Got to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. And in what world does an Eddie Jones team run the ball from their own 10-metre line against New Zealand with no time on the clock and a, and a not loss in hand. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's easy to sit and watch the game and go, oh, well, we can win it from here, but it's it's not quite as easy as it looks. You know, that tries like you've just described tend to get repeated a lot because they don't happen that often, even today. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, but, just but... just get rid of it. Best case scenario, we take a drop goal. Well, we ain't taking drop goals. Nobody kicks drop goals. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Did you, do we think um, it was a net positive for England or an, or do we think that... I, I made a comment that I think that result just papers over the cracks. I, I, I think we'll get tuned up in a World Cup in the same scenario. Totally. I think it gives Eddie Jones more breathing room. Um, it was an abysmal performance for 68 minutes and then a pretty handy 12 minutes. Well, that's not acceptable. I agree. Ben? Yeah, I think I think you're right for sure. I mean, it, in terms of, is it a net positive? It's a lot better than getting battered. Which is um, good. Yeah, but, you know, minutes. at least we got away with the draw. I mean, I, I, I said to you guys earlier... Um, Scotland were fourteen nil down after ten minutes, and they, you know, they've been praised to the ceiling for getting back to a lead and then getting battered. Well, England were nineteen points down with about twelve minutes to go. So, you know, there is that at least. I think you know positives. You can see what Smith can do when, you know, his, his shackles are taken off. Whether that means he should be starting without Farrell or whether he. He's proved he can come on for the last 20 minutes and change a game. I don't know. Um, you know, I, Ribbons came on at the best possible moment, but he did really well and he looked he looked like an international rugby player. Um, short of that, we played some good rugby. Well, we've always played some good rugby. It just it's never for much more than 10 minutes in a game, is it? The, the, the Smith-Farrell axis didn't work. And, and what worked at the end was Smith playing Smith against the side defence. Um, but this wasn't a case of us being 19 points down with 10 minutes to go because New Zealand had played well. We'd gifted them nearly all of their points. Not, not uh, they took advantage of an opportunity. We literally gifted them most of their points. Um, That's the, that, this, that one's for you, Tim Cocker. Yeah, <laughs> but like this wasn't about none of none of that game was about New Zealand. New Zealand were bang average and played pretty average throughout. We shat ourselves for half an hour, then kind of did all right for half an hour, and then did really well for ten minutes against a team that were totally gassed. One of the things. What do we that- learn? One of the things that really concerned me was just how easily they made yards around the fringes of the run. Mm, yeah, definitely. Like they just seemed to be able to pick and go at will and make five yards. Like The amount of times that that happened was a real concern. I don't know how we're going to address that because... Play two flankers? Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> but, I mean, South Africa will rip us apart if we play like that. Yeah, and there's no Jack Willis in the squad. Yeah. Which I'm presuming is a contractual thing because he's signed to go and play in France. Well, no, I thought they all had this dispensation because of the special Uh, circumstances. I know, but it's outside the test window, so the French clubs don't have to release him. Oh, I see, right. Hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, so... That I, they could, I know South Africa are nearly missing a full 15 through either injury or not being available, yeah. but they could still quite easily stick 20, 30 points on England. Oh, easy, easy. So, yeah, I mean, South Africa could really could really show us what's happening. I, I think we have a bit of a mental frailty, I guess, against South Africa now, but... Um, I hope we win in controversial circumstances just <laughs> so that we can get fully unhinged Rassi. Yeah, he's... Uh, well, I'm just looking at a headline now. 
making South Africa so easy to, to dislike. I, yeah. I didn't know that was a new thing, but you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's definitely true, isn't it? I mean, I think it could be the, the first time I can remember England not being the least liked team in a, in a game of two. Um, but um, yeah, like, like Phil says, they are short of players. I'm just trying to find a list here at the moment. Um, but you know, that all of their English players are unavailable and um, you know, they've got some injuries as well after, after a, a month of rugby. So, um, so, you know, it might be that we do have a, a better chance than, Perhaps we would have done if all their players were available, but you know, it's not really, um, you know, it's not really going to make a huge amount of difference in the World Cup if if we beat their second team. No, I I don't know how he's allowed to get away with it. You know, I I don't actually find the Razzie thing all that annoying, and he's kind of got away with it. He's got a two match ban. Um, what I find really annoying is all of the South African fans thinking it's completely appropriate for them to behave like that. Yeah, yeah. I just find it quite childish and stupid. And, uh, it's it's not a think... level where, where it irritates me. I just think it's pointless. It just makes him sound completely unhinged. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's kind of like, like, like Donald Trump almost, tweeting, isn't almost it? Almost like, like he's got severe mental illness. Yeah, it's almost like just just try and pick a fight with, you know, he's got to the point now where people either love him or hate him, and he's just trying to pick a fight with the people that hate him. Yeah, because he can't, you know, he's coached and played enough rugby to know that a lot of those highlight offenses he's highlighting are marginal or are going on all the time. You know, he, he can't he can't outright believe that the only reason his oh. side is conceding tries or whatever is because of, of what's happened. At that second on the pitch, I mean that. I'm disappointed he hasn't managed to clear about 40 minutes of the other team fouling again. Yeah, I mean that South Africa France game was absolutely brutal. So you know you could go through that game and just clip everything up, and there must have been penalty offences going on probably about probably about four a second at some st- at some stages of that game. Um, so you know it, it, whether it's you know hundred percent. Um, genuine or if he's you know trying to put pressure on referees but it looks like he's putting too much pressure on referees now because none of them want to referee South Africa games well, can so, you blame him? No, absolutely not oh, I would, I'd absolutely love it if World Rugby came out and said because of Razzie's actions we're banning South Africa for rugby for the next 12 months and then come back just after the World Cup finishes I mean they're more likely to say because of Razzie's actions we're going to have all games refereed solely by video referee <laughs> and they'll all they'll all take three and a half hours. I mean that'd teach him. It would. Yeah. It would. Yeah. I I think one of the biggest issues about all all of this stuff is the chance that it empowers coaches to be able to say stuff like this more often. World Rugby missed the trick the first time he did it. They should have absolutely thrown the book at him. Yeah. Because rug- rugby is so sanctimonious about its values mm. and stuff that to allow this to just sort of be brushed under the carpet because of one man's hubris and delusions, I but guess. Him, just just him, seems... him sitting on the... Him sitting on the sideline for two games does nothing. No. They need to absolutely nail him where it hurts. They need to either properly hit his pocket. You can have a £2 million fine. There you go. Done. Or ban the team. Like, take take away all the stuff that they want. Sorry, South Africa. You can't take part in an international in this window. Because he's, he's questioning the integrity of the governing body of the sport. And they're just um, okay with it. But uh, to, it's to very, it, it's, a, it's yeah. very rugby. It's very rugby. So, it's rugby, just to be okay with that. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to. If you look at another sport, actually, world world rugby, there isn't 
what he's criticising world rugby for isn't necessarily entirely fair or the biggest problems with world rugby. I wouldn't want to stop people being able to criticise the the um, leading body of the of the sport because FIFA are an absolute mess, and we should be able to say that whenever we like. Everyone should. Yeah, but you're. But, there's a difference between criticising world rugby and saying that the people that world criticising FIFA and and saying the people that FIFA are putting in charge of the games in which your team is playing are corrupt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I understand that. Yeah, definitely. And I mean. Would you, if you were a referee, would you go and referee a South Africa game now, knowing that there's a chance that you're going to be accused of being fed? I probably would. I'd probably absolutely hammer South Africa with uh, every opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, I'd phone up all my mates and say, bet on South Africa losing and getting at least three red cards. Yeah. Because they are getting fucked. Yeah. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if there is an element of that. You know, these referees going into these games and they're being vilified and, and, and made to well they're having their reputations questioned and their integrity questioned why wouldn't they? It'd be the first well, thing I look to do. It's just a complete lack of understanding of human psychology. What you should be doing is going into the ref room before the game and wishing him good luck, hope you have a good game hope everything goes to plan think you're a really good ref go over to him at half time give him a pint of beer there you go you're doing great keep it up like you want to keep the ref on side you don't want to ostracize him yeah i couldn't agree more um so give us a prediction then for this this week's game how do you think how do you see it playing out uh i think south africa are going to physically dominate but fail to score many points it will be nine six at half time and to South Africa, and then England are going to scrape it with a try after about 75 minutes, and going to win by three points. That is very comprehensively summed up. Yeah. Um, I've just had a look at the South African side. Um, they're definitely going to beat us up. Um, I, I Phil could easily be right. I could. I can see us losing this something like 21-22, something like that. Yeah, I think they're always going to be close games, aren't they, these England-South Africa matches. The the thing I am concerned about is the ease with which their carriers will break the game line. And yeah. the, the larger concern for me is that our attack is absolutely atrocious because I think we've we've got training wheels on Marcus Smith and he's not allowed to play his normal game. Owen Farrell's Owen Farrell has too much influence over how that side plays. And you've basically got Marcus Smith on the pitch playing with Owen Farrell's voice. And that seems to me a bit of a waste. Um if Owen Farrell's so, an important player, then then just play him at 10 so that he's playing in his best position and we can move Manu inside to 12 and we can play well, Slade at 13. And well hopefully they hopefully they've both got their tackling boots on because <laughs> Yeah, that's where that's where the balls come in. Yeah, I mean, so those, that, you were saying I, I think, South Africa are going to are going to break the game line um, either by breaking tackles or yards after contact. Who in that England team is ever going to break a game line or make massive yards? I mean, I don't, I don't. Who's see big, who's at, big at this point in his Get, career, I think, I think Manu is potentially a spent force. Yep. I'm not sure he is the player. Well, he's not the player he was. He's not as quick. Uh, he doesn't seem to be used in a creative manner anymore. For me, he's a poor man's Ollie Lawrence and has been for a couple of years. I I don't agree with that. I think I think when he's fit, I think he's he's a different class. When has he been fit now? then? Ben, but but that... He's not been fit for years and he... And the, physiologically, he is not the same player he was. I mean, he hasn't been fit for at least three years since the world, the last World Cup, maybe. But even now, I mean, you know, he, he, gets on, he gets on the front foot. I think, I think you're right. I think 
Lawrence is is he should be back in the squad because he's he's the nearest as a light flight replacement. And if if he's as injury prone as he's proved, then Lawrence should be getting plenty of caps in his in his place. But having said that, Lawrence has only really looked good since he's you know come to Bath. You know, Eddie's ruined him once. Um, he's managed. You know, since he's been at Bath, he's looked really good. But what is that? Six weeks. So you know. I think, I think that's a very sort of myopic um, view of, of Ollie Lawrence. I think he was looking good in a Worcester shirt. It's just that you, you don't look as good in a Worcester shirt as you do in a Bath shirt. The same with um, Newcastle. I think if Radwan went to Bath tomorrow, he'd probably play in the World Cup. On on the Tuolangi thing, yes, he carries the ball direct and hard, but it's exactly the same as Billy. He's making two yards he's he's getting hit a Is, yard. are you saying he's become an, an english uh, jamie roberts yeah well yes and no jamie roberts would still make five yards um he's getting hit a yard further behind The now out carries as opposed to supreme ball carries. And I like Genj running at speed is is a decent ball carrier. But I struggle to see many, many other players there who are good, solid, hard ball carriers who are going to make yards after contact and attract defenders at England setter. Uh, that's probably because there aren't any. Well, why are we trying to play like that then? Why, I mean, why are, we, why are we trying to play a brand of rugby that we we don't have the players to play? It's, I'm not if, I'm not a professional coach, but even I know that's probably not the best way to set up. If yeah, if we don't have big hard ball carriers, why don't we go a bit like Japan and just stretch teams? Drag yeah. them, drag them early and quick to one side. We certainly have the players for that. Anyway, we're not oh, going. Yeah. Um, no, of course not. I'm, I'm quite glad we're not. Well, I know you are, Ben, but you're, you know, a special case. The boy is boy. Okay, let's leave it there. Should we, um, and, and unless anyone's got any more rugby business, we've been we've been chatting for the best part of an hour. Russ will be spinning in his grave at the thought of us actually having chatted about rugby for an hour. Um, anything else for any more? Uh, I think we probably ought to just mention and pay homage to Georgia, having never beaten a tier one side in 29 attempts before and played 2-1-2 this this autumn. Couldn't have happened to a nicer team, could it? Exactly. I've I got to be honest, I didn't watch it. Um, they're, um, they're in the same group at the World Cup as well. Oh, that It won't be the same result at the World Cup, will it? I don't think so, but you'd think, wouldn't but, you? you? Are know? you saying that Wales could go to the World Cup and lose to Fiji and Georgia in the same in the same tournament? Because <laughs> yeah, they're definitely sure losing to Fiji. You, you'd think, though, wouldn't you? Like, if you were playing a team in the World Cup, you would put out your strongest possible team less than 12 months before, just in case. Yeah. Like England did against Japan. There wasn't... Well, was, yeah, psychologically... Yeah, it's got to be the right thing to do. But yeah, uh, when you're talking about national coaches on the hot seat, uh, <laughs> your boy in Wales has got to be feeling the heat, on his option, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. And I for one am here for that. Uh, yeah, well done, Georgia. Lovely, lovely job. I didn't enjoy your kit. You were better when you had. Uh, Canterbury is a kit sponsors, but there you go. Um, we don't like talking about them anymore. Uh, yeah, that'll probably do it. Um, just had a very random WhatsApp message uh, asking me if I wanted to go to Austin Healy's Battle of the Commentators lunch tomorrow, 12 o'clock at Battersea Park. Uh, dress code is lounge suits. Um, <laughs> What's a lounge suit? 
Uh, absolutely agree. What is a lounge suit? I don't know. Just going to do a, a Google. Uh, I imagine it's just it's not some, some it's kind not, of suit. It's not right? black tie. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just, just a suit. Yeah. Imagine having imagine being so rich that you have a separate suit for the lounge. <laughs> do you have do you have one for the foyer? Foyer suits only. Um yeah, I won't be going to that. Uh yeah, um that'll do it for rugby, I guess. I, I haven't really it, been it able to. It kind of depends that. how the how the commentators are battling. If it was a what? if it was a scrap to the death, then I might I might go and watch that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to reply that. What type <laughs> of battling? Is it like um like Anchorman? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Phil, how are how are the Hornets getting on? Uh, so we have a week off this week. Um, the week before. Yeah, really quite disappointing result losing to Campbell School of Mines, um, which is a game we should have won. Uh, I think I think the game plan was right. The delivery on the game plan was sadly not quite all there. Um, we we needed to beat them up a bit more, uh, but we are playing bottom of the table, Helston on Saturday, who are played ten, lost ten, so. If we don't get our seats back on track there, it doesn't bode very well. Is it Helston or Hale? Oh, no, Hale, you're right. I mean, I, yeah. I, was getting, I don't know. I was, I, mean, I, I was only asking to be nice, Phil. It wasn't a fucking <laughs> press conference, but whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Uh, well, well done to... Um, uh, well, well done to... Oh, Dougie, my what is wrong with my fucking brain? Honestly, you've um, you don't get enough sleep. Uh, no, um, it sounds like you've turned a corner down there, though. Uh, it's there's definitely a bit more positivity about it. I mean, it's just the state of the state of low level grassroots rugby is pretty challenging at times. Um, yeah. and uh, there's a lot of contributory factors, most of which I don't fully understand. Um, but, I mean, something the club's done, which I think is a real positive, is they've just taken out a squad-level income protection policy. So if anybody gets injured playing rugby, the, the policy will top them up, um, top up their wages for a few hundred quid a week for 13 weeks. Oh, that's very good. Um, that is very Unfortunately, good. they took it out four days after one of our players dislocated his ankle. Ugh. But, yeah. Brutal. Indeed. No, well, uh, that seems like a good plan. Um, well done to Ickenham Saints uh, for winning the first game of their get this restructured league. There were so many walkovers in in Ickenham's league this year that the are uh, the the union decided to scrap the league and restructure it with new teams. Um, and Ickenham won their first match this week. So, well, last weekend, so well done to them. Uh, and I, I, I do believe uh, the other club that I've got a bit of a thing thing with, um, Dunstable are doing well this year. So well done to Dunstablians. I haven't played for them for nine on three years now, but there you go. Uh, should we do some any other business and get out of here? Let's Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> Go on then, uh, Benjamin. What have you got? Um, I assume it's Benjamin, not Ben Benethy, or you know. No, it's just just Ben. Bon, ben Bemis. Just I don't know. Just Ben. Yeah. Have I ever told you about the the Ben that I work with um, at my old company who had a misspelling on his Olympic um, accreditation when we did the London Olympics and. Someone at the IOC decided that his name was Benjamin with a with an M. <laughs> Bem. Bem. No, I'm I'm just I'm just Ben and my brother's just Tim. And I think it's something to do. They always say with dogs, keep their names short so they respond quickly. And I think <laughs> I think that theory was carried through on naming the children. But um yeah, um this week 
uh, on Saturday, funnily enough, um, we went to see Top Gun 2, at a drive-in, a pop-up drive-in cinema, at an old World War II airfield, which we thought was a fantastic idea. Um, so we got there and um, queued for 40 minutes to get in because there was just one guy giving out radios so you could listen to it. And um, we were sent down the left-hand side of the runway uh, where we found there was a lot of vans in front of us and one particularly tall van was directly in front of us which obscured the bottom half of the screen um and then someone parked behind us so we couldn't reverse out um so, <laughs> How so surely there has to be a separate van zone so that like what if that van was at the in the front row well it was it was one of those those japanese style vans on like quite a high wheelbase as well so it was just like right in our view and um, the problem was there was only one person directing traffic. So people were just going where they wanted. So I was a bit grumpy. I was like, well, I haven't seen this film yet. And now I'm going to watch it and not be able to actually see what's going on. At which point Sarah said to me, is it me or is that screen getting smaller? And um, the, the screen was just propped up on a bouncy castle. And in true Phoenix Knight style, <laughs> as soon as the wind got up, the bouncy castle just blew down. <laughs> Ludicrous. So, was it was it just a sheet? Was it, somebody just tied a sheet to the side of a bouncy castle? Pretty much, yeah. It from the road, <laughs> it looked quite impressive. But yeah, so the, a little voice came over the um over the radio, and he was like, um, "Yeah, the the wind's got quite high now, and um, we're we're gonna have to finish the film. So if you could all just go home, we'll be in contact tomorrow about a refund." <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone just had to get make their own way out and drive out. It was um, that's ridiculous. So I, I went home and watched it on Amazon. <laughs> so you paid twice because yeah, you're never getting exactly. that refund. No, absolutely not. Um, so yeah, good film though. Yeah, it was. Film. Yeah. Phil. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Char- I, today I went to a year five swimming gala, um, which was suitably not fun for me. But what was fun was watching my 10-year-old who um, has dyspraxia, has uh, low-grade ADHD, um, has pretty shit coordination of his limbs, um, swim the second leg of a relay got handed over to him first, handed over to the person in the next leg in first, who handed over to the person in, on the fourth leg in first, who came home about three seconds before everybody else. So, Very yeah, good. seeing him seeing him, kind of really push himself through something that I know was very difficult for him and get the reward for it was great. Um, and nearly made up for all the times he's a little shit. <laughs> but, yeah. Par- parenting yeah, awesome. wins today. Like it, like it. Um, my uh, my any other business will will be that I was away on the darts last week uh, in Wolverhampton. We don't start until sort of half four in the afternoon and then work all night so uh, most of the days to ourselves, it's obviously carting down with rain most of last week so i i repurchased football manager 2023 first football manager i've bought for maybe six seven years and uh i'm now lost in a rabbit hole of um football manager i'm, ma- I'm managing tring athletic who's the last club i played for as a as a young man who are in the Spartan South Midlands Premier Division. Now, when you buy the game, the, the English league system only goes down to the blue square, but it's got what's happened over the years is that football managers got this sort of really um, thriving development community. And somebody has gone to the trouble of programming uh, a, a mod that means you can manage every team down to level 10 in the pyramid, which is, quite good fun actually uh and we're just about to get promoted out of that division into the Isthmian league so um yeah it's quite good fun i forgot how good it was and it's uh wasting some hours there you go 
waste a lot of hours. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anyway, that 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 seems to be a good place to wrap it up. Um, I don't know why Tuppence isn't here, and and to be honest, we didn't do our usual five minutes of pacing him at the start. So no. let's see if he it... listens to the end because he is a really fat cunt. Is it because of his new his new MOD job? What he can't do podcasts anymore. Well, maybe it's top secret or something. Or do you think that, that he's just double so seventeen stone? Chair? Well, whatever it is, he's dead to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, we miss you, Russ. Come back soon. Um, <laughs> hope everyone enjoys it. Have a good week, everyone. Um, Look forward to getting on the Bunch of Degenerates chat on Twitter and lambasting England and their terrible rugby on Saturday. I guess I'll see both of you there bright and early with bells on. And um, we'll do this again next week to let the, what, four people that aren't in that WhatsApp group know how we thought about it. Yeah, and if you are one of those four, um, tag us on Twitter with the hashtag, I'm one of the four. Yeah, Losers. we could we could just read the whole chat out next week. We could. That could just be the pod. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, we just pick pick two different voices each. The irony is the four people that don't know about that group probably think we're going to do that. Um, <laughs> any, and, anyway, and the people that are in it know we're not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we really are not. Um, Okay, uh, good Good to chat to you as always, fellas. Um, I'll release this at some point tomorrow. I'm not doing it tonight. Go well. Sports Social Podcast Network.